Our Parashat Vayigash can be found in the Humash here on page 250. It starts in Perek Mem Dalet Pasuk Yot but we'll begin a little bit further in on page 254. Page 254 at the top of the page. And, uh, and the, the context and uh, what's taking place is Yosef has already revealed himself to his brothers. They know about his existence. They had been very scared, standing in front of him. Yehuda had approached, had made the appeal that, well, I guess, forgive or understand. And now at the top of page 254, right after Yosef has revealed himself to his brothers, he's told them, maybe the bottom of 252, even easier in Pasuk Chet, he says to them, Ve'ata, you should know, Lo'atem shelachtem otihenna, I don't see it as you sending me here, ki ha'elohim. It's God. Moshe has, excuse me, Yosef has a tremendous sense of perspective. He's able, and he repeatedly states this, if we're taking him at his word, he really has a breadth of vision for a person in this moment looking at his brothers who set him off and for all intents and purposes abandoned him to be able to say, I don't see this as negative and to full-fledgedly forgive them to the extent that they can't believe it at the end of his life, or at the, after the life of Yaakov, rather, they come to him and uh, construct the whole story. Your father said not to do bad to us. They can't believe that he actually forgave them, um, that he actually <coughs> forgave them. And now his words are, Vaisimeni le'av God <coughs> placed me as the master, literally the father of Paro, ul adon beto, I'm the master over all of his household, umoshel bechol eretz Yisraim, I control all of Mitzrayim. Now, that description, in and of itself, can and should be taken as positive if you, for a moment, and I already want to mention this, even though this isn't the direction I want to initially take, if you just put yourself in Yaakov's shoes already with that mention, is Yaakov hearing that, and that's the initial words that the brothers are supposed to repeat to Yaakov, is he hearing that and smiling, and nodding his head and saying, that's my boy? Or is he, on the other hand, Yaakov, who has a fear of Egypt, to the extent that, as he's thinking about going down, he needs God's encouragement in our parasha, to the extent that his father was forbidden to go down into Egypt, during, even during time of famine, to the extent that his grandfather did not have an easy time in Egypt, his wife being taken from him, and the difficulty uh, on many levels, and the aftermath of it as well, is Yaakov going to hear those initial words, which Yosef clearly in this moment sees as a positive mention, tell dad that I'm doing great, I'm just thinking out loud already whether Yaakov will hear those words and for sure relief, my son's alive. But he's in Egypt? Oh, uh, I, I don't want to give a mashal too uh, graphic, but just imagine a child missing for a long time, and the parent finds out that they are, fill in the blank, in some uh, terrible situation and place. Can't imagine. Not the way I ever, my goodness, imagine what they've gone through. I, uh, I'm not exactly, but I don't think Yosef thinks that way. I think Yosef, in the system of Egypt at this point, of Misraim, is sending this to his father as words of consolation. Understand, there's control over here. Okay, continuing, and we'll come back to that point. Maharu, be quick, he says to his brothers. Va'alu el avi, va'amartem elav. Go back up to dad and say to him, 
This is what your son Yosef has said. Samani Elohim Again, perspective. Reda Elai Al Ta'amod. Almost a demand, but of course a request of his father. Come down. Don't stand in place. I'm going to sustain you. It's coming from God. That's a beautiful description of religious sensibility of Yosef. And then basically the first and only descriptive line of Yosef. Until now, it's just been a demand. Uh, here's who I am, come down. What do I see for you, Dad? The first description is, you'll stay in Goshen. I'll come back to those words. Vehaita karov elai. And you'll be close to me. Now, that sounds positive. I'm going to be close to you. There is an emphasis here, and I'll uh, trace it through with you in a moment, throughout the parasha on Eretz Goshen. Eretz Goshen, the place where Yosef promises Yaakov that he and the children will stay. There's a mention from the first sentence, so to speak, of your second sentence of Yosef, through the parasha, Eretz Goshen. It's the place where the people are going to settle. The name, interesting in and of itself, in parashat Vayigash, coming forward, Goshen, Sounding the same way. It was the words Yosef used to his brothers, Geshunai Eli, come closer to me. The name Goshen, well, it might be, you're going to be close to me. It might be some sort of reference of Goshen, a place of closeness to Yosef. Does Yaakov want to be, I continue the question, close to Yosef? Now, it's his son. He certainly wants to be close to his son. But who does Yosef represent in Egypt, the viceroy of Egypt. Yosef is not just his son in Egypt. Yosef is Av Leparo, Moshil Becholeretz Misraim. I'm just already telling you that I'm not certain at the onset that the description of Yosef, as much as we reading it get emotional, as we should be, as much as we reading it feel a sigh of relief, if it was fully positive when it came to the ears of Yaakov. And Yosef's mention, I'm convinced, is to relieve his father. But Yosef's been there for a really long time, almost two decades. Yosef sees Egypt as a land of prosperity and potential in a way that we know Yaakov has not wrapped his head around. Because he's like, he wants to impress his dad. <coughs> so he wants to like, like, you don't have far to come. For sure. Um, but again, Raquel, what I'm saying is, does this impress his dad? For a father who fears Egypt for its culture, for a Torah, and I'm speaking like that now, who, which tells us again and again, stay away from Egypt. We have injunctions in in hundred percent. But what I'm saying is, you send to your father. Number one, yeah, his father doesn't know what he is. But you're right that he's revealing himself and he's speaking to his brothers. It's all significant. But I think you should come down. Don't worry about it, Dad. I'll put you in a place close to me, parentheses, close to the king. I'll put you in the best place of Egypt where everybody will be looking at. Is, is that positive for a Yaakov hearing this? I know Yosef means it positively. What I'm suggesting from now and throughout is that this is contrary, perhaps, to the way we've maybe always heard this. Maybe Eretz Goshen was for Yaakov, in the eye, let me say it this way, in the eyes of Yosef, it was the best situation. For Yaakov, it was an understanding this is going to be a challenge. Instead of hearing this and immediately jumping up, 
I wonder if Yaakov took a step backwards. Uh, even the name Goshen and the Haita Karov Eli, I'm not sure that that's so easy. So that's the initial introduction, invitation from Yosef to his father. But if you think that that's all we have in terms of mention of Goshen, well, you're far off because, go ahead. What's the relationship of Goshen in the train? Capital? Is it the edge? It's not the capital, yeah. that's for sure. Exactly. Later, we'll read a pasuk which will tell us that it's the best of Egypt. That's what it'll say. Um, is that where the rich people live? We certainly understand it that way after the fact. I'm going to, I'll tell you from now, my suggestion is they turn it into separate from Egypt. I'm not convinced it was separate from Egypt. Even the name, that's what I'm saying again, is Goshen. Is being close. This is the first time we hear Goshen in the Torah. It's not this is the first mention. This is it. And interestingly, later as we go along as B'nai Israel are in Egypt, that all of a sudden the name becomes Ramses. Ramses, oh. Ramses was the name of the king. Uh, you know, it's almost as if this parasha is describing it as Goshen to say something to us by giving it that name. I don't know what, quote, the real name, maybe it had two names. I'm saying Parashat Baigash, I think, is saying to us again and again and again, this land is close to Paro, or is close to Yosef, which is close to Paro. But hang tight, because if, if I haven't convinced you yet, there's plenty more to come. In Perek Memvav in Pasuk Kafhet, that's on page 260. <coughs> this is as Yaakov is now convinced. I have to go down. And he's not too excited about it. That's clear from the Torah, but he's ready. The Pasuk says, Vet Yehuda, Shalach Lefanav El Yosef. Yehuda is sent ahead to Yosef. For what reason? Lehorot Lefanav Goshna, Vayavo Arsa Goshen. Pasuk doesn't suffice in telling us Yehuda was sent ahead. As Yehuda was sent ahead to consult with Yosef. I added the word consult. Two, lehorot lefanav goshna. Something about um, showing or seeing goshen. Lehorot means to show, generally speaking. Vayavo, um, and they arrive alza goshen, and they arrive in goshen. Why? Before we talk about the specifics and even the rabbi's vision of this, why was this necessary? It, in other words, uh, to, to state it differently, uh, when it if my son, I'm not there yet, but if my son is living separately, let's make this one up. I'm up, I've, I don't know if this is happening, I hope it's quicker, but I'm up to retirement age and I'm moving to Israel, right? That's the situation. And my son, who's been living in Israel for years, calls me and says, Dad, I have this all worked out. He calls me Abba. Abba, I have this all worked out. I have the most beautiful place for you. I mean, it's my son. I've, I know him well. I, I might, because it's easy today, I might ask him to take pictures or something of that sort. Is it so significant in this moment for Yaakov? Is he distrusting? Is there a reason he feels Yehuda needs to go ahead and handle this? Yehuda is the leader. He's emerged as that. What is the... I mean, it's never told to us. So the rabbis have two descriptions. Rashi quotes two descriptions. Either Yehuda was just going to settle the place. It's, it's, a, it's the only difficulty with that approach, and Rashi seems to feel this, it's an unnecessary mention then. Because the Pasuk tells you, and he sent someone ahead to settle it. Torah doesn't tell you what, what color shirt he was wearing. It's almost as if there's something more significant. So Rashi then quotes from the rabbis, where was Yehuda going to build the Bet Midrash there? Listen to the description. There's lots of messages. First and foremost, you're going to the exile, in general, to a funny place, difficult place. 
build your identity. But moreover, build your identity when you fear that place. Build a safe, protective identity institution because there's something about that, even Goshen, which ultimately speaking will be about separation, I believe. But at this point, I wonder if Yaakov feels vulnerable entering into not only Egypt, but Goshen. It's almost as if there's some mystique to Goshen. We saw a little bit of it already. It's close to Yosef, double-edged sword. And we see now there's, I'm calling it, some hesitation. Moving ahead, there's now a full conversation staged and dealt with by Yosef in order to get Goshen on page 262. Page 262, you have Yosef turning to his brothers and telling them, here's how you're going to deal with things. I want you to, if you take a look, he first spoke to um, Paro about them. And if you look in Pasuk Lamedalit, he says, uh, he sends the brothers, Amartem, he says to them, this is what I want you to say. On page 262, you're supposed to say to him, we are people of cattle, both us and our parents and ancestors. The purpose is, Goshen. So that you'll settle in the land of Goshen. Yosef uh, feels he needs to stage a full conversation. He even preps the brothers before doing so. The brothers arrive. They have a conversation which goes, if you read carefully, a little differently than they expected it to be. Pasuk uh, Dalid is where they specifically uh, uh, deal with. They make the request, we'd like to stay in Eretz Goshen. What's Paro's reaction? He turns not to them. Interesting. He turns to Yosef and he says to him, Pasuk Vav, Eretz Mitzrayim Lefanecha. The land of Egypt is in front of you. Lefanecha he. Put, settle your family in the best place of Egypt. Place them in Goshen. Now, we might again go back to the way we've always rightfully or wrongfully approached this, at least I have, and say, well, the purpose and the objective is so that they be separate and they are herdsmen different than Paro. And as a result, Paro, you don't want, really want me to be next to you. But listen to Paro's next words. They seem to reveal something different because Paro's next words are, And if you know Yosef, if any of your brothers are strong and skilled, maybe you could place them as the heads of my herds. Maybe they can be my shepherds. Maybe they could be my people dealing with my animals. What do you mean? Paro, didn't you get the message? We want Goshen because we want to be separate. Mm -hmm. Unless, that was never what was going on. Unless Yosef, with his, at this point, Egyptian sensibilities, turns to his brothers, explains to his father, might be speaking a different language, not literally, than them, saying to them, best place you could be. Best place in Egypt. Yaakov twitches when he hears the best place, not what I'm looking for. And uh, well, here's what I want you to say. Let's rehearse this. You're going to say that. They say it, and Yosef might be the most happy he's been. Guys, you don't understand. We got you the best place. Things can't, do you know about my success? And going back to Yosef at Sadiq, I, you know, I've been successful. I've done this. While at the same time, I'm not certain that everything's so easy and I'm not certain we should be so comfortable at this point. 
We should be nervous. We're getting stuck in Egypt, but real Egypt. We're getting stuck, stuck right in the middle of it. One, one more step on this question. The very last pasuk in the parasha here on page 266. The final pasuk in the parasha, which I think, once we wrap this all up, will be the punchline in all of this, because the final pasuk in the parasha again reiterates Goshen's significance. Vayeshev Yisrael Beretz Mitzrayim Beretz Goshen, we settle in the land of Mitzrayim, in the, in the specific land of Goshen, Vayeahazuba, and we, so to speak, uh, uh, hold on to it, we in uh, some way acquire it, Vayifru, Vayirbu, Me'od, and we procreate there very much. But my reading of that is success. My reading of that is against all odds success. In other words, we went there and we reproduced there. We figured this out. This was dangerous. This is a difficult situation. Somehow we maintained identity through that. But throughout the storyline leading up to that, every conversation with Yosef, even a few we haven't yet read, I'm reading the, the hesitation, the trepidation, the difficulty, the danger that's inherent in its Goshen. Uh, that's, that's the plan here. I've kind of mapped it out for you. I'd like to take a little bit of a step back in order to uh, kind of press this upon you even more. Because the amount of times that Goshen, without any description, as to its significance, as mentioned in Parashat Vayigash, I, I, I think it was six at least. A little curious. To tell me the name of the place they settled in once, tell me they're going to be in a good land twice, I got it. There's at least six mentions of this. There's a full conversation, seemingly insignificant, telling his brothers to go speak to Paro, and Paro end up talking to him, and so on and so on. There's a lot of detail about Eretz Goshen, sending Yehuda ahead. It's one of these, these storylines in the Torah that's kind of behind the scenes. If you don't pay attention to it, you know, kind of gloss over it. If you do, well, it raises antennas. What's the purpose of all this? It's in those types of situations more often than not, the hachamim come and kind of tell a story, give a message in order to deal with, well, the gaping difficulty, that gap in the text as to, well, what's the significance of this? So there is a midrash. It's in Pirkei Derbiliyaz, an early text of midrash. has the following statement. So I'd like to tell you the statement, and then based on everything we discussed until now, with a little bit more, try to unpack that and tell you how I think this is really what the rabbis are already telling us about Goshen. The Midrash says the following, Want to know where Eretz Goshen came from? We were destined to be living there. Well, it was well known that we were going to be there because all the way back, at the time that Avraham descended into Egypt and his wife Sarah was taken by Paro as a wife, the Pasuk says, Paro then bestows upon her a lot because he loves her very much. He gives her all his gold and all his silver and even an eternal inheritance land called Goshen. That's the Midrash. As a result, says the Midrash, it makes a lot of sense that later on when the children came, they settled in Goshen. First, take in the words of the Midrash again. In the eyes of the rabbis, in their description of the origins of this land, where did it begin? It started in a relationship between Paro and Sarah. That's a very striking description. It's not in their eyes the way we imagined Yosef helping his brothers. It's rather, and his father, it's rather they're describing it to us, Paro holding on to the person he wants to control, 
Goshen being close to Paro again. The Midrash goes even a step further in this one, the next spin over here. Midrash says, you want to know when that all took place? Paro and Sarah and the presence, etc. And so rabbis at their best over here. It happened on Pesach, of course. Why did it happen on Pesach? Everything. Vainaga, because the Pasuk says that Paro was afflicted at that time with the Lashon Nigaim. Nigaim is what the Torah describes several of the Makot as uh, later on at the beginning of Sefer Shemot. It was Pesach. What are they doing? What, what are the rabbis describing? What are they talking? I mean, is there a historical reality that just happened to know? Torah was just giving a, a hint of some sort? Or is there something in terms of what happened to Avraham and Sarah, which is embedded in the Torah now for us to pay attention to later on? For us to, again, you know, just a step further in our own lives as our own Goshen realities repeat themselves, be able to plug into the messages of them. So first and foremost, in order to arrive at that message, so I prepared from a book from Professor Yoni Grossman, just this, this chart. This chart is a parallelism between, it's a well-known parallelism between the storyline of Abraham and Sarah and their time in Egypt and the story of B'nai Yisrael in Egypt. And there's not just a nega, and not just matzah of some sort. There is so much in terms of parallels. Just take a look uh, even quickly at this chart. Vayered Avram Mitzrayim, at the very beginning of Parashat Lech Lecha, and the description, alternatively, our parasha, Vayeredu Mitzrayim. Lagur Sham, back on the right-hand side, by Avraham. Lagur Ba'aretz Banu is what they described to Paro, the brothers that we just read about. The reason Avraham went down is because the famine was, was heavy in the land. What's the words of the brothers of Yosef to Paro? We can already suffice with that. It's literally identical terminology, wording. Okay, furthermore, um, Avraham turns to his wife, Sarah. He says, so, you know, Imrina Ahotia, say that you're my sister. Because otherwise, harigu oti, they'll kill me, ve'otach yehayu, they'll keep you alive. Would you know it? What was the decree we read about at the beginning of Sefer Shemot? Every boy was killed, and the girls, the Pasuk says, were kept alive. In benu v'amitenotov, in bati v'haya. Direct parallels. V'hikibu avram misraima, and it was as avram came in, b'nei Israel habayim misraima, the Pasuk has, has a description of as they enter in both times. <clears throat> this pasuk that we've just mentioned, paro gedolim. Paro was afflicted; these terrible uh, afflictions with Abraham over Sarah. Od nega ehad avi al paro. That's a description of makat bechorot. paro After this happens to him with Sarah, he calls Avram. paro Paro several times calls Moshe and Aharon. Take your wife, get out of here, says Paro to Avraham. Says Paro to Bnei Israel. Ultimately speaking, Avraham and Sarah are sent away. Left hand side. We're forced out of Egypt. We forget that. We remember that they afterwards ran after us. But initially they said, please. Get the heck out of here. What does Avraham emerge from Egypt with? Wealth. What do we leave with? 
ושאלה אישה משכן פעם, גרת בתק, לכסף, כלי זהב, וסופורט. וילך למסעב מנגב ועד בית אל. What happens? אברהם מקסווי עד אביג'פט, ואני קונטיניו שטראבלינג. ויסעו כל הדת בני ישראל ממתבאסים למעשיהם על פי אדוני, and we as a nation travel as well. It is a striking parallel, which shouldn't take us as much of a surprise. The Torah has plenty of this. The, uh, the aphorism of Ramban Nachmani more than once is Ma'ase Avot Siman Labanim. You might, if you, if you want to secularize it a little bit, learn from history. History repeats itself. I mean, it's striking in the Torah. Not just Avraham Tzach. It's everything that's happened to us as a nation. Everything that's happened in existence has a way of repeating itself. Different coordinates, different times, different personalities, but it kind of all makes its way back. But placing this now again in the context of our conversation, Goshen, which the rabbis placed in the storyline on the right-hand side, in the Avraham storyline. What are we to take from that? Goshen was, in the eyes of the rabbis, as they retell this, so to speak, given to Sarah. It was given to Sarah, and we might say, how beautiful. Paro really loved her. Nobody is saying that. Everybody is saying, oh my goodness, that's a temptation, that's hard. But Sarah withstood it. Sarah stayed away nonetheless. He tried to bring her in, and Abraham runs away, in contrast, of course, to uh, Lot, who gets stuck in Egypt, at least spiritually and intellectually. He's, uh, he's still in Egypt when he makes his way to storm, as the Torah tells us. Abraham and Sarah separate themselves. So I wonder again whether the Hachamim are teaching us the same thing that I, I believe we're seeing in the parasha. Goshen may have emerged as a successful place for our separation but it wasn't, at its onset, purposed as the easiest place to isolate. If anything, it may have been the hardest place to isolate. It was a place which posed tremendous difficulties of assimilation, of becoming part of the culture, of becoming ours. Why don't you be my herdsman, Paro said to the brothers of Yosef. Oh, says Yosef to his father, you'll be close to, close to who? To the viceroy of Egypt? I love you, Rohi. But really? You want me to be in the red light district? That's where you're operating? So to speak. What I'm suggesting is Goshen, much as everything else in our lives, when you live outside of a, an area that you're entirely comfortable with, posed an absolute challenge to B'nai Israel at this time. It wasn't as, uh, as sugar-coated as, as we sometimes believe or were taught to believe it was. Yeah, so, I don't think there was any trickery, Erica, but what I'm saying is, and it's possible, every place in Egypt would have been called, quote, Goshen. Right. But I think the point that the parasha, that the Torah repeats it for us so many times is to say, pause for a second and realize, this was not simple. I, God told Yaakov to go down. There was no choice. Our exile was beginning. But the Torah is planting guideposts, reminding us this was not a walk in the park. That's what I'm trying to say. In other words, their success could not and would not be simple. And as a result, you know, kind of, I, you couldn't, even though I'm going to do a little bit more in the parasha, but you couldn't, at least in my mind, think of a more appropriate message from Parashat Vayigash, ironically, at the encounter of the brothers, when everything's coming together for today, than this one. In other words, as we, I, uh, continuously and successively feel, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that uh, I don't feel that life is more dangerous 
I do feel life is more uncertain living outside of Israel, I'm ironically even living in Israel in a different way. I do feel, speaking with students on college campuses, I do feel just in general, I took my family last Sunday, my children, it was pouring, last Sunday to a bookstore in downtown Manhattan, to the Strand Bookstore. At two moments, it doesn't matter the specifics, it's not that I felt unsafe, I felt uncomfortable because, and there's no, there's no doubt about it, because we were all wearing kippot. It wasn't like we shouldn't be, but we encountered people who were clearly very unhappy that we were Jewish people in the same section of them in a way that I've never felt. So what I'm saying is there is inherent dangers in becoming overly comfortable, sometimes for assimilation, Parashat Vayigash, I believe, is teasing out and having us struggle with, and sometimes because overly familiar makes you overly comfortable at a time or at any time when you maybe shouldn't be. So I'm saying more than anything, Goshen is not that we had an option to do differently, but it is, well, be careful and mindful as you make those unideal decisions. Be careful and mindful as you do get out of your comfort zone and what should be your comfort zone more than anything else. Sorry, is there Renata. a relation to the word? <laughs> I believe so. I think it's exactly the point. Parashat Vayigash is Yehuda and Yosef coming close to one another. Vayigash, to come forward, to come close, to meet. Uh, um, the, brother, the brothers are standing in front of Yosef. He reveals himself and he says, Geshuna Elai, Vayigashu. So I think in a parasha where it's repeated in terms of the closeness of Yosef to his brothers, it's as well repeated in the context of the land to Yosef, yes. for who Yosef is in that respect, as being part of this society. Okay. I, the truth is, maybe I haven't made the, the point strongly enough in terms of Yosef representing this. And I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm very clearly not taking away from Yosef at Sadiq. As a matter of fact, I'm strengthening it that he was so much a part of this society, and he was able to maintain identity. But the challenge for, call it the mainstream, uh, even for the 70 members of the household, I think that's the fear. But if you pay attention, the Torah has a lot on, if you read between the lines, how much Yosef had become a part of Egypt to the extent that, in my reading, the Torah is saying, Yaakov was a little bit hesitant about that. Uh, we should look at that and say, that was a little scary for the people. That was a little bit dangerous for them. Uh, first and foremost, this is just a, a favorite of mine. It doesn't strike us in the text over here. But what we do know is that there was two, we know this historically, there were two different ways and modes. We know this, and people have shown me even pictures after I've talked about this, but um, there were two modes of even men presenting themselves once upon a time. In Egypt, most of the time men were clean shaven. That was just the way they appeared for reasons that were philosophical. Egypt mummified. They tried to extend life, at least in their mind. They deceived themselves that life were always young. So keep clean shaven. Don't expose any of your, your, your age. A beard, even in Hebrew, is known as a zakan. And so when Yosef was taken out of the, the pit and brought to Paro, the pasuk goes out of its way to say, he shaved himself. So that already, that mention, again, an unnecessary mention to me is, before you're appearing in front of Paro, why don't you, I'll go a step further. Yosef, the parasha a few weeks ago told us he had a different name in Egypt. Safenat pa'aneah. Whatever it means, it was a name given to him by 
Paro, Yosef, Hatzadik, who was able to overcome all this, was very much a very cultured Egyptian. A very, you looked at him and he said, I'll go a step further. Isn't it shocking that the brothers didn't recognize Yosef? Ironically, the Midrash says because he had a beard. That's ironic, the ironic side of the Midrash, right? Is that because he had a beard. But regardless, isn't it amazing that they couldn't pick him out? I mean, they knew that they didn't kill him. But for Yaakov, who may have imagined that he's dead, it's a little bit more, they couldn't, there were so many things fitting into place. There was the Shimon being the the brother who was taken. There was his picking up and almost triggering the mention of Binyamin. They couldn't think about it unless Yosef was in appearance, in who he was, so Egyptian to them in their mind, they couldn't see it otherwise. Again, I'm not putting him down. I'm just describing he's been there 17 years. He's the second in command. Of course this is who he was. It's not the vision we have as we think about it. I think the Torah even hints it to us in Perek Memhe, on page 254. In the middle of the page, I'm... I'm, Did we get the wrong mark over here? (laughs) What happened? Just hearing together, um, uh-huh. somewhere else that um, perception is, is reality. Is your reality. You see something the way you perceive it to be. That's what you see. They, they, they couldn't see it. They, they couldn't see it differently with all the clues because the perception, which was a perception that you couldn't get past. Right. It's like I, I don't know that anyone can get past it. It, I'm going to go a step further. It was reality, not internal reality, but in terms of operation. Yosef was a very important Egyptian person. Deep down, he was the son of Yaakov. Deep down, he was continuing the tradition and he was fully a part of it and cared about it entirely. But in terms of his daily, yearly operations, he was involved in Egyptian everything. He was the, the head, head person there. On page 254 here in Pasuk Yod Zayim, so Paro um, tells the brothers, uh, uh, tells Yosef what to say to his brothers. This is before they go down back to to Yaakov, but Yom Eparo El Yosef, Emore Lachecha Zot Asu, Taanu Et Biirchem Ulchubou Arsa Kenan. Go saddle your, deal with your cattle and come up to uh, and and go back to Kenan. Ukhuet Avichem Vet Batechem. Take your father and your families. Ubou Elai and come to me. Veetena Lachem Etu Veret Misraim. This is the pasuk we were talking about a bit earlier. Veichlu Et Chelav Haaretz. What's the description? As you send to the brothers and you tell them what to say to their father, come down to Egypt because, fill in the blank, you'll have a fulfilling life, you'll have a meaningful life, you'll be able to practice your conviction. What's the description? Because you'll be able to eat from the fat of the land. The message which comes to Paro is... You'll be able to get the gashmiut, the materialism of Egypt. But there's a famine going on also. True. Say so you'll have food. Say so you'll have food. You will get the best of Egypt. Here's what I want you to do. Send down wagons. How are those wagons drawn? Horses. Horses. Do you know anything about horses in the Torah? There's one person in Sefer Devarim who is commanded not to have too many horses. The king. The king. Why not? 
Because horses will bring you back to Egypt, the Torah says. Do you want to know why it'll bring you back to Egypt? Because the only place to buy horses was in Egypt. Do you know what used to happen? If you wanted to take a horse out of Egypt, they would neuter it so that it, you wouldn't be able to reproduce because they wanted to be the only place to get horses. Do you follow? As the wagons show up at Yaakov's door, what does he see? Horses. What does he see more? These are the special wagons which were commissioned by Paro. I'm not speaking historically now. This is my imagination. They probably had a marking on them. This was... Yaakov could not have... Again, maybe I'm jacking myself. Yaakov is being met with Egypt in Canaan and being invited into, into Egypt. So much so that a pasuk, which seemingly is just an unnecessary uh, description, describes as Yaakov kind of makes his way there. If you go to page 256, the pasuk says, Vaya'alu mimitzrayim vayavou eretz Canaan el Yaakov avihem. The pasuk could have just said, and they come to the father and they say, instead the pasuk says, and they go up from Egypt and they enter into Canaan and they speak to Yaakov. You know what that is? You're going from the fast city life and whatever, and then you left there, got back into the slow moving village where the father's simple connected spiritual life was. The pasuk is describing almost poetically, in one line, with extra words, because that's what's happening over here. There's a clash in the life of Yaakov. He's now being told, Egypt, and not only Egypt, Yosef Egypt. I'll go one step further. There's a description at the end of the parasha. At the end of the parasha, there's the encounter of, well, right before the end of the parasha, there's the encounter of Yaakov and Yosef. Are you familiar with this one? For, for a moment. How much time do you think is going to be expended in the Torah to describe a very, I'm convinced, emotional encounter? A lot, right? We're going to describe how Yaakov and Yosef are together. The rabbis have Yosef's, uh, Yosef in this moment and Yaakov in this moment. Yaakov is saying, and Yosef is crying. Let's see how much time is described in terms of in the Torah and how much description there is when they actually encounter one another. Um, here it is. Um, on the bottom of page 260. First and foremost, what's the first description? He hears his father's there. Gets back on his horse. Gets on his horse. Yeah. I didn't, you didn't need to tell me that. Just say, Yosef goes to his father. I think it's on purpose. He gets on his horse. Because they're giving me the imagery. He's riding a horse. Okay. Where is he going to find him? In Goshen, of course. An important mention of Goshen. Again, and the way I'm reading the Torah now is Goshen is a close to Egypt place. So there's crying from Yosef to Yaakov is the understanding. His father now says, El Yosef, I can die now. I've seen you, because you're still alive. Okay, what else? What did you say back, Yosef? And what Yaakov said? He turns to his brother and says, guys, let's figure out how to settle Goshen. The conversation is done. It's cut short in one sentence from each. Not even. Yosef didn't say anything. The father has one line. It's good to see you alive. Really? Unless there's a little bit. Again, my reading into it. This is a little bit of a difficult, difficult emotional exchange here. There's almost a bittersweet 
timid, hesitant Yaakov approach. Am I really getting into this? I know it's Yosef, and I need him. And he's part of the family, and I know God told me I need to be here. But did you see that, that horse? Do you see that clean-shaven individual? I remember when he left the house, he was getting starting to get the stubble. Well, all my sons now have full-grown beards. I'm not, I'm not sure. Go ahead. Also, well, you think about Yaakov's history, like Esau's his brother, who was very much assimilated, <coughs> and then he had to work in Laban's house, and it's also very hard for him. <coughs> his brother also has like, his own PTSD from everything. And Amazing. Now, Amazing. Now there, well said. Now, uh, put in other words, but exact same point, Yaakov knows Galut, knows yeah. exile yeah. better than yeah. anyone else, yeah. and knows all the difficulties of, of Galut. I'm, I think you're 100% right and knows the knows the difficulties and dangers of exile he has seen his he has seen his daughter amidst uh, p other people yeah. being taken yeah. advantage of he's seen his son's reaction to it positive or negative he has not had a simple life in terms of exile and he's now seeing yes a successful son in it but the potential rocky road ahead. So to put it all together, and to again, just read the last pasuk in the parasha, what we've suggested through this class is that Goshen represents, and it's repeated mention in parashat Vayigash, in the parasha of coming close, Renee, of coming close to Yosef, of coming close in the brothers. Goshen is a coming close as well. Ironically, or maybe not so, the rabbis say Goshen is the coming close of Sarah to Paro. Sarah and Avraham knew how to see that and pull away, make their way out of Egypt when an individual I mentioned earlier, like Lot, can't get his mind out of Egypt, the culture, the success, the materialism. Goshen is from the beginning, although Yosef is promising it to them and probably means it in every positive way, a challenge at best. And Yaakov knows that. And Yaakov is is hesitant about all this, but they have, as, as we said earlier, no choice. They have nowhere else to go, as Erica said. And as a result, we forevermore remember Goshen, not as that terrible, horrible place, but, final pasuk again, Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Misraim Be'eretz Goshen. They do build for themselves a settlement in Goshen. Vayeahazuba, extra words. They acquire that land. It's not. Paros, it's their acquisition. It's their place. Yeah, they, they don't want to tight to it. They don't want to leave. Uh, I, they, wow. To leave at all? Russia, I mean, like they're holding on tight. Gorgeous, like, gorgeous. I, I was thinking differently. I was, but it's the same. But we, we come okay. to the same point. I was thinking they acquired. It's not paros. It's ours. We're not living on your land. Right. We're, we're living on our land. But yes, Vayeshevu, they settled there and they stay there. Vayifru, Vayirbu, Meod, and they procreate there. And Pasuk doesn't just say, and they, they procreate, it doesn't just say, say, and they grew very much, it's they grow very much in Goshen. The conclusion then of Parashat Vayigash is, I think, without a choice, in circumstances and situations where their eyes were wide open as to the potential dangers of being outside of Canaan, and again, I say to each of us, the potential dangers, which sometimes, oftentimes, we overlook of living outside of Israel, of not appreciating our connectedness in a religious sense to a land and getting a little bit comfortable outside of it, both with regards to assimilation as well as general feelings of comfort. Parashat Vayigash, from beginning until end, if we read it between the lines, has warnings, has continued warnings to us. 
look at it through the eyes of Yaakov. Understand that as much as Yosef believes this will be a walk in the park, Yaakov understands differently. Understand and realize as much as we can and will and have been successful in exile for what, almost 2,000 years, it's never been a walk in the park. And the moments that we begin believing it's going to be a walk in the park are oftentimes the moments we start to descend, you know, in a somewhat seemingly nat 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 natural way. I think Parashat Vayigash then, for all of the emotional beauty, for all of the crying that it should bring forth in each of us for a family reunited, a father finding his son after so many years of absence, it should have a message as well of the dangers, the difficulties, the precautions, the lessons of exile itself. I don't know why they all have my men, they